0: So we have crossed the halfway point of our Finding Freedom series, and here's our quick review of where we've been. We all want freedom. We all desire freedom. We're all pursuing freedom. We all want to be free, and we want to be really free. But here's the thing that we've kind of been saying throughout this series, and here's kind of the flip it on, on the head of the idea of the title. We don't find freedom on our own. We follow God, to the freedom that he has for us. We follow God into the freedom that he has won for us. We don't wake up one day and get smart enough and read enough and figure enough of life out that we can eventually find our way to freedom. We follow God to the freedom that he has for us. And so instead of trying to pursue freedom, we pursue God and allow him to lead us to a life of real freedom. So we pursue God through prayer. We fight battles in the spiritual before we try to fight them in the physical. We we, we, we surrender to God's purposes. We step into God's purposes. We try to live out the purposes that God created us for. And in, in as we step into God's purposes, we live out God's Freedom, And instead of trying to run from all authority, we surrender to God's ultimate, perfect authority. We allow Him to lead us and direct us and guide us to a place of real freedom. Now, today as we move into the new content, here's a question that I want to ask you. And this is a, this is a big question. This is, this is one of those, I think, maybe life-changing questions. And the question I want to ask today is simply this. What kind of freedom is impossible for you? What kind of freedom is impossible for you? What, what kind of freedom do you think is impossible for you? It might be possible for someone else, and you're glad when someone else gets it, but for you, based on your experience, you think it might just be impossible for you. In other words, what's the thing that you've kind of come to just live with? What's the thing that at one point you saw it as a big problem, and it never really went away, and so you've settled for living with that because you think that is impossible to be free of? What's, what's the thing that at one point you hoped and prayed and dreamed that it would eventually go away and you would be free of it someday, but it never went away and you've just figured out how to live with it and how to deal with it and how to, how to kind of exist with it? Let me, give you, let me give you a couple ideas of what's, what this might be. For some of you, maybe it's a physical pain. It's a pain that it, that came at some point, and you hoped that it would go away as quickly as it came, and but it's but but it didn't, and it's been a small part of everyday life for you since it came. Maybe it's an emotional pain, the feeling of the loss of a loved one or the loss of a relationship. Every day it stings a little bit. Every day there's there's just a little bit of pain every time you see them every day when you see their facebook post or you see their instagram post there's a little bit of sting over the loss of that person or the loss of that relationship and you wonder what it would be like to wake up one day and not feel that hurt for some of you maybe it's a self-destructive relational habit you don't know why or where you picked it up but somewhere along the way you picked up some self-destructive relationship habits and every and every, every time someone gets close to you or every time you get close to someone else it blows up or you blow it up. Let's be honest, sometimes you blow it up and sometimes a lot of the time you blow it up and you don't know where you picked up the habits along the way, but somewhere along the way, these habits just became a part of the package of life for you and you would wish and you would hope that something could change, but it's been so long since you've experienced a healthy relationship and haven't blown it up along the way that you wonder if it's even possible for you and you've kind of settled for just living and existing with that stuff. Maybe it's a relationship within your family. Like something got tweaked along the way with with a with a a father or a mother or a sister or a brother or an in law or an aunt or an uncle, and it used to be close, but things something got tweaked along the way, and things are not good in that relationship within your family, and you and it's been t- tense for so long, and every time you're in the same room, there's a attention, 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 and it's been tense for so long that you've just kind of settled for that as the normal. Things can be tense, but let's just try to not to blow it up even more, and you wonder if it, it's been tense for so long. You think. I don't think it could ever be good again. Maybe you started taking something to help you fall asleep. You started taking a pill or you started drinking something that would help you fall asleep. And after a little bit, you needed something a little bit stronger and a little bit stronger and then a little bit stronger and then a little bit stronger. And now you think, I don't think I can fall asleep without that. I cannot get a good night's sleep. I cannot stay asleep without that thing or without something stronger. And so you've just kind of settled that. Like, I know this isn't good. I know this isn't healthy, but this is just kind of where I am right now. In order to sleep, in order to get rest, this is just part of me. I'll never, I'll never be able to sleep without that. Or maybe it's the voices in your head or the uncontrollable thoughts of fear that dwell inside you. And you know they're not healthy, but you stopped fighting them a long time ago. You stopped fighting them a long time ago. It's just part of life for you now. You can't imagine what it would be like to go a day without the voices of fear. And so the thing is, for so much of life, I think we live thinking that some situations are impossible to change. Some obstacles are too big to overcome. Some demons you just have to live with. Some relationships have been rough for so long, they're never going to get better. And here's what, what I know, and here's what you know, and here's what I want to make sure we all understand today is simply this, that if you live like any form of freedom is impossible for you, you are not free. If you live as if any form of freedom is impossible for you, you are not fully free. See, no one is free when they're living with the damage and the collateral and the chains of torn relationships. No one is free when they feel like there's no hope for better relationships in the future. No one is free when the physical pain shapes every single day. No one is free when fear dominates their thoughts and no one is free when you're constantly reminded of loss. That is not freedom. And you can be free in every single other way. But if you are living with something like that, you are not free. And if you've ever felt that and if you've ever wondered how to move forward or what to do with those situations or those feelings or those emotions or those fear or that, or those habits, today is for you. Because God wants you to be really free. And until you are fully free, God is not done with you. And God is not done working For you. So today we pick up the story right after the final plague that was sent on the land of Egypt. Egypt is in shambles. I mean, Egypt has lived with the last seven months of their existence being absolutely insane. Egypt's economy has been ruined. Egypt's crops and livestock are devastated. Egypt's people have lived in fear for the last seven months, and now every family has seen the loss of their firstborn son. And after all of that, finally Pharaoh has had enough. After all of that, Pharaoh's had enough, and he forces the Israelites to leave. He doesn't just give them the permission to leave that they have been asking for, he pushes them out. He forces them out. In other words, they don't have to go home, but they can't stay here. Here's what we learn in Exodus chapter 13 starting in verse 17. When Pharaoh finally let the people go, God did not lead them along the main road that runs through the Philistine territory, even though that was the shortest route to the Promised Land. God said if the people are forced with a faced with a the battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness toward the Red Sea. Thus, the Israelites left Egypt with an army ready for battle. This this is such an interesting little tidbit. At Mount Sinai, God gave Moses a very clear promise. He said, you will lead my people out and I will lead them to a land of their own, a land flowing with milk and honey. Now again, if, if we came to a land flowing with milk and honey today, we'd be like, maybe don't take that land. This was a sign of a good land back in these times. God had made a promise that when they were led out, they would be led to something good. And now, They have been led out and God won't let them go to the good promised land. You ever feel like you ever feel like that? Like God brought you part way, but you haven't gotten to the fullness of what God promised you? You ever feel like sometimes like, okay, God, I know that's what you have for me eventually, but I'm not there and I'm frustrated where I am right now. Like God, I know you have better for me. I know you have good for me. I know you have things that you've promised for me, but I'm stuck here. And I think sometimes we get frustrated with that. We go, God, what are you doing? What's up with that? What's what's up with all the stuff that you're doing? Why am I stuck here when I know you ultimately want me there? Why am I not receiving the goodness and the blessing that I feel like you have for me? Like, why, why am I not there yet? And I think in this, God gives us a clue in this passage. It says, God knew that if the people were faced with battle, they would be tempted to return to Egypt. In other words, God knew that taking the promised land would require a significant fight and these people were not mentally or physically prepared for a fight. God knew that what was supposed to be a blessing would ultimately break them because they weren't prepared and they weren't ready and they weren't prepared to handle the land of blessing. God couldn't give the Israelites the promised land yet because they couldn't hold it. God couldn't take them to the promised land because they weren't ready to fight for it. And that leads us to, I think, understand something about what, when we feel like we haven't gotten where we're supposed to go yet and we haven't received the promise and we haven't received the blessing yet. It's simply this, that God will not give you a blessing that he knows will break you. God will not give you a blessing that he knows will break you. And I think sometimes when we think of it, we just have to understand that God is patient and God will wait for you to be ready to handle the blessing that he wants to give you. And so sometimes we go like, hey, God, like, why won't you give me any healthy friendships? And I think sometimes God is looking at us and goes, because until you acknowledge and you deal with the codependent habits that undermine all of your relationships, bringing you healthy people will only send you into a self-loathing spiral when they leave you because, honey, the problem isn't the other people. The problem is you. You're not ready to handle and, and embrace healthy relationships yet. So I can't give them to you. I can't, I can't give you a blessing because the blessing would break you. Sometimes you think, well, hey, God, why won't you make my kids listen? Well, I think sometimes God's looking at us going, because right now, what you're asking them to do is not in their best interest. It's in your best interest, and it's selfishly motivated. And right now, you are not a parent worth listening to. And so if I had your kids listen to everything that you said, it would not be for their good and ultimately it would not be for your good. What I would give you as a blessing would break you and it would break them, and it would break someone that I care about, so I can't give you the blessing because right now you are not prepared to handle it well. God will not give you a blessing that He knows will break you. God is a good, loving, heavenly Father who knows and sees you and sees your heart and sees your mind and knows what you are prepared to handle, and He will patiently wait for you to be ready for the blessing that He wants to give you, but He will not give it to you if He knows that it will break you. Now, then we're told this in verse 20. It says, The Israelites left Succoth and camped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. The Lord went ahead of them. He guided them. Would you say guided them? He guided them. Would you type that in the, in the message bar right now? He guided them. During the day with a pillar of cloud, and he provided light at night with a pillar of fire. This allowed them to travel by day or by night. And the Lord did not remove the pillar of cloud or pillar of fire from its place in front of the people. See, this is another one of those instances that kind of makes people think that maybe Mount Sinai was an active volcano at this point, that there's this pillar of cloud or smoke by day and there's this pillar of fire by night. And it's always coming from the same place. It's this pillar coming up. Almost sounds like it's maybe an active volcano. And who knows if that's the actual reason or not. I mean, it's kind of an interesting theory that they were headed towards an active volcano. But God did not let the pillar of fire and the pillar of, of cloud move from its place. It was in one place. And wherever they turned or wherever they led, they knew we just need to head toward that. We just need to head toward that. We just need to head towards that. Here's the thing. Again, we don't know if that's what's going on here. We don't know if that's the physical explanation for for what's going on, but here's the bigger picture. God has called them to a place and God guides and leads them to that place. God has called them to a place. God has given them a promise of what they will experience and how they'll know him at this place. And God guides them and leads them to the place. Here's the bigger point. God will never call you to a place or to a promise without a plan to guide you there. God will never call you to a place or a promise without a plan to guide you there. This is a big deal for you and for me today. This is a big deal that wherever God has called us, whatever God has promised us, He will always guide us and lead us to the place that He's called us to, and lead us to the promises that He has made to us. So God's promised us freedom. He has the plan. We follow Him. We walk out His purposes. We 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 pursue Him in prayer. We surrender to Him His authority. That's the plan. To receive the freedom that God has promised us. God has promised us peace. God has a plan. He has a peace that surpasses understanding that's a promise from God, that He always has, a, that He has a plan to bring us peace. God has promised a way to leave your past in the past, and He's given us the plan. He's given us the path. He has guided us there. You trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and you follow Jesus in the new life that He has provided for us and the new life that He has made available for every single one of us. That's the plan. That's the path. That's what God wants to guide us in to receive the freedom that He has for us, to receive the peace that He has for us, to receive the, salvation and the freedom from our past that He has for us. God always provides a plan to experience His promises. God always has a plan to experience His promises. God always provides the plan for you to experience His promises. But God also provides a plan and provides a plan and provides a path for a way to you, for you to live out the things that he has called you to live out. That if he's called you to live something out, he has a path and a plan for that as well and he guides us in that. So maybe you think like, "Well, I like I feel like our family is called to be a light. Like our family is called to be a light to the world around us where there's so much dysfunction when it comes to families and there's so much brokenness and so much so much hurt when it comes to families. I feel like our call like, you know, as as I read through scripture, I feel like our family is called to be a light to the world around us. That our family is called to be like so good that people could see the goodness of God through our family. But man, family, Family is complicated. Family is messy. And family is it, like, there's fights and it's not peaceful. And it's not always, e- and it's not easy to be a light. So how do we deal with that? Like, and like, and, and I think when we think about that, we just think like, well, I mean, God hasn't given us a, a, a guidance. He hasn't given us a path. He hasn't given us the plan. All he's given us are a few verses about, well, husbands, love your wives and wives, respect your husbands. And, and parents, you know, don't frustrate your kids and kids are supposed to listen to and, and, and obey their parents. Like that's all God's given us. And I would tell you that simply this, if that's all that God has given you, that's all the plan you need. If that's all that God has given you, that's all the plan you need, that's all the path you need, and the rest is following out and living out the details that flow from that. And so for so much of life, whether it's family, whether it's you know, job stuff, whether it's career stuff, money stuff, so, much, so often we kind of go, well, I wish God would give us a plan, but God's only given us a verse. And I would just simply say this, if God's only given you a verse, that's all you need. If God's only given you one single line of instruction, maybe, just maybe, that's the whole path and that's the whole plan and everything else flows from there because whatever God has called you to and whatever God has promised you, God has a plan to guide you there. God has a plan to guide you there. Now, story goes on and starting in Exodus chapter 14, we're told this. When word reached the king of Pharaoh that the Israelites had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds. They're like, oh my gosh, again. So Pharaoh harnessed his chariot and called up his troops. He took with him 600 of Egypt's best chariots, along with the rest of the chariots of Egypt, each with its commander. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. So he chased after the people of Israel, who had left with their fists raised in defiance. The Egyptians chased after them with all the forces in Pharaoh's army, all his horses and chariots, his charioteers, and his troops. The Egyptians caught up with the people of Israel as they were camped beside the shore near Pi-Heroroth, Across from Baal Zephon. Now, can we just all maybe stop for a second and collectively go, ugh, this guy. About Pharaoh, right? Like, you want to know why Moses was so intent on leaving quickly, that 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 and getting out of Egypt, that he forced men, women, and children to march across the desert day and night, in the in the middle of day, in the heat of the desert, in the in, in the in the middle of night when it's really difficult to see. You want to know why Moses is forcing these people to walk through the day and through the night, and you don't stop, and we don't take breaks, and we just got to get where we're going. And you with the tiny tank in the back, you got to hold it, and you got to like, we're just gonna. Keep going, gotta keep going, keep going, keep going. You know why I mean? Moses is so dedicated to getting out of out of Egypt? Because Moses was concerned that this just might happen. Pharaoh had already, on nine of the previous instances of the plagues, he had already promised that they could leave four times, and then changed his mind. And Moses was worried that Pharaoh would want to make it an even five out of ten, an even fifty percent, because if you bet fifty percent, you go to the Hall of Fame, right, in baseball. Like so, Moses is worried that Pharaoh is going to try to get into the Hall of Fame of Pharaohs, and he in fact does exactly what Moses was worried. That, Moses would do, that Pharaoh would do, that Pharaoh, Moses was worried that Pharaoh was going to come to bring the people back. But here's what we, here's what we find out about Pharaoh. Because of what he brought and who he brought, because he brought the full weight and the full force of the Egyptian army, Pharaoh did not come to bring them back. Pharaoh came to take them out Pharaoh had convinced himself that the battle that he could not win against Israel's God, that he could not win while he was on the defensive, while he was sitting passively in his own kingdom, with the power of his own kingdom, that maybe just maybe if he went on the offense and took the full weight of Egypt's army, he could overtake and overpower and win the fight against Israel's God out in the desert we're told this in verse 10. As Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. They cried out to the Lord and they said to Moses, why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you, as a leader, you hate, didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt? We said, leave us alone. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. Now, doesn't it sound like maybe God was right when he said earlier that if they were faced with battle, they would go back to Egypt? These people were not ready for battle. They had, at the very first sign of difficulty, they would be tempted to return to a life of slavery. But notice, they are where we are so often that we mentioned at the beginning. A place of, I'd rather turn back to the familiarity than actually allow God to carry me to real freedom. Egypt wasn't good, but I'd rather go, go there than risk dying while trying to get free. Depression wasn't good, but I'd rather stay depressed than risk something worse while trying to find freedom. Loneliness wasn't good, but I'd rather stay lonely than risk rejection while trying to get something better. And if you find yourself in that place, Moses would have some words for you. It says this, Moses told the people, "Don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians that you see today will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. Moses reminds these people, and I imagine that I read it a lot more calmly than Moses said it. Like Moses reminds the people, the fight has never been yours. It has always been God's fight for your freedom and for his fame. You keep trusting, you keep calm. Don't do anything crazy that would get in the way of what God is doing. You keep trusting, God will keep fighting. And here's a principle that I think we need to understand sometimes. Trust will take you further than fear ever could. Trust will take you further than fear ever could. Sometimes, sometimes trusting God and following His plan is the only option we have. For the Israelites at this point in time, it's the only option they have. But even if you have other options, trusting God and following His plan is the best option. The Israelites' fear took them nowhere. Trusting God and remaining calm and confident in him had brought them this far, and trusting God would soon take them to full and final freedom. And that's just as true for you today as it was for them while they were pinned and while they were cornered at the Red Sea. That trusting God will take you further than your fear Ever could see fear is why we is why we stay is why we stay and live with the things that we've lived with for so long because we don't know what different could be we don't know what freedom could feel like we don't know what real community could feel like we don't know what what it, what it could feel like to actually sleep through the night and how good to sleep could be through the night without having to take something like we don't know what that actually feels like we don't know what what it feels like to live without the pain live without the emotional hurt we don't know what it's like to live without that. But if we trust God and follow His plans, we can end up in a place where fear could never take us. Then we're told this in verse 15, it says this, Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? In other words, Moses, this is not a time to pray. This is a time for action. Tell the people to get moving. Pick up your staff and raise your hand over the sea. Divide the water so that the Israelites can walk through the middle of the sea on dry ground. Then the angel of God, who had been leading the people of Israel, moved to the rear of the camp. The pillar of cloud also moved from the front and stood behind them. The cloud settled between the Egyptian and Israelite camps. As darkness fell, the cloud turned to fire, lighting up the night, but the Egyptians and the Israelites did not approach each other all night. And here's something that I just, when I read this, this stuck out to me so big. The same thing that God uses to guide you is also meant to protect you. The same thing that God uses to to guide you to freedom is the same thing that God will use to protect you and help you keep your freedom. This is a big deal, and I could probably spend a lot of time talking about this, and this might be a whole sermon someday. But the very thing that God was using to guide the people now comes around behind them and allows them to experience protection from the enemy, the thing that was once their guide is also meant to protect them. And the same thing is true for our lives. What God uses to guide us is also meant to protect us. What God uses to guide us and lead us to the place of freedom is also meant to protect the freedom and keep the freedom that God has given us. And so here's the thing. What this looks like is the same guidance that God gives you to build your family is also meant to protect your family from attitudes and influences that could work to harm your family. The same guidance that God gives you to build financial freedom and build financial peace is also meant to protect you from financial disaster. The same guidance that God gives about sexual purity while you're single that builds a better future for you also protects you from regret and is meant to protect you from ruining your someday marriage. This is what it is that the same thing, the very same thing, the same thing that guided you is also meant to protect you. The same fire, the same cloud that was meant to protect the people now turns around to protect them. The same guidance that God gives us is also meant to protect us. The same freedom, the, the same thing that God uses to guide us to freedom is the same thing that God will use to ensure and safeguard our freedom. We're told this, then Moses raised his hand over the sea. He raised his hand over the sea. He raised his hand over the sea. And the Lord opened up a path through the water with a strong east wind. The wind blew all that night, turning the seabed into dry land. So the people of Israel walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground with walls of water. Walls of water. I can't even imagine what this would look like. Walls of water on each side. Then the Egyptians, all of Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and charioteers, chased them into the middle of the sea, which sounds like a bad idea. They chased them into the middle of the sea. But just before dawn, the Lord looked down on the Egyptian army from the pillar of fire and cloud, and he threw their forces into total confusion. He twisted their chariot wheels, making their chariots difficult to drive. Let's get out of here, the Egyptians shouted. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt, which is such an amazing realization. People who did not know God knew that God was fighting for God's people and he was fighting against them. They recognized God's hand in all of this. When all the Israelites had reached the other side, the Lord said to Moses, raise your hand over the sea again. So Moses is now standing on the opposite bank. and God says, raise your hand again. Just do this. Then the waters will rush back and cover the Egyptians and their chariots and charioteers. So as the sun began to rise, Moses raised his hand over the sea, and the water rushed back into its usual place. The Egyptians tried to escape, but the Lord swept them into the sea. Then the waters returned and covered all the chariots and charioteers, the entire army of Pharaoh. Of all the Egyptians who chased the Israelites into the sea, not a single one survived. Then we're told this, when the people of Israel saw the mighty power that the Lord had unleashed against the Egyptians, they were filled with awe before Him. And in the, in the most obvious statement that could possibly come after this entire event, they put their faith in the Lord. <laughs> they put their faith in the Lord. Because what else could you possibly do? They were in awe of what God had done. And so they made the decision, we're going to trust this God. He is our God, and we're going to follow him. We're going to put our faith in him. Where he says to go, we will go. Freedom was fully and finally won. In the face of a moment of panic and confusion, and how are we ever going to get out of this? How are we ever going to overcome this army? Did God lead us out here to leave us out here? Are we all on our own? We have made. We have no way forward. We are trapped in the middle of all that. God made a way where there was way no way. God, with a simple instruction, parted the waters so that his people had a way out and they had a way forward. God, with a simple instruction, brought the water back so that his people could see their enemies vanquished and defeated. God made a way and God brought God's way brought people real freedom. And that's the entire thing today. That's the whole ball game today, that our God makes a way where there is no way. Our God makes a way where there seems to be no way. That when we look at situations and we go, there's no way that could happen. That's impossible. This can't change. That can't happen for me. That could, like, it just can't be done. I could never go there. I could never become that person. My family could never look the way it's supposed to look. That when we look at situations and say, there seems to be no way, God looks at it and goes, no, no, I'm the God who makes a way where there seems to be no way. He's the God who parted the water. He He's the God who brought the most powerful nation and the most powerful man in the world to its knees. He's the God who provided direction so that his people wouldn't wander and get lost. He's the God who made a way for a baby boy named Moses who was supposed to die at the hands of Pharaoh before he ever got a chance to really live. He became the leader that was needed. At every step of the way, God is the God who makes a way where there seemed to be no way. Which means, which means he can make a way for you. So let me ask you that question that I asked you at the beginning. What kind of freedom do you think is impossible for you? Because for you, because for you, where there seems to be no way, where it seems impossible, where change seems unlikely, where you've lived with it so long you think it's just part of life, God can make a way where there seems to be no way. When you don't think there's a way to find freedom from that thing, God has a way. When you don't think there's any hope for your family relationships improving, God has a way. When you don't think there's a realistic shot at real friendships and real community, God can make a way. When you think your dependence on a substance is too great to ever be free from, God can make a way. When you think your mental health issues are too great to ever find peace, God can make a way. When you think you've gone too far and done too much for God to ever accept you, And love you and know everything about you, but still accept you, God has made a way. I mean, just think about that for a second. If God could make a way to close the chasm between Him and us that we caused because of our sin, if God could find a way and make a way to close that gap that we could actually come back to a relationship with Him, I'm telling you, He can do anything. He can make a way where there seems to be no way because that's who He is. He is the God. Who makes a way? You can trust him because your trust will take you further than your fear ever would. You can trust him to lead. You can trust him to guide. You can trust him to protect. You can trust him to provide. And you can trust him to part the waters for you so that you have a way where there seems to be no way. Let me pray for you today. Before we go to God today in prayer, for some of you, this is a moment and this is an opportunity to trust the way that God made. Where there was no way, to trust the way that God made for you to experience a relationship with Him. It happens simply by trusting in Jesus' death and his resurrection. His death that provided forgiveness for your sins, that his blood covers the paid the price for your sin and for my sin. That we can know God without shame, without failure, without without all of the stuff that comes from our past, we can know him and stand forgiven by what Jesus did on the cross. And it happens when we trust in the resurrection of Jesus and we follow him in the new life that he has for us. And so if you want to make that decision today, I would love for you to make that decision today. I'd love for you to let us know you're making that decision by clicking the the link that's in the comments right now. But I would just love for you to let us know that you're making a decision, the best decision that you could possibly make, to trust God's way where there was no way for us to do it on our own or no way for us to know him on our own. Let me pray for us all. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you are the God who makes a way where there is no way. Thank you that you're the God who guides when we can't see the way. Thank you that you're the God who protects when 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 we when we can't figure out a way that that we can secure and safeguard our own freedom. God, thank you that you are the God who makes a way where there seems to be no way. So God, today, I just simply pray for all of us who have settled for some situation and settled for something that we just think at this point, it's not gonna happen. It's just not gonna happen. It's just not gonna happen. We're gonna live with that forever. We're gonna live with that hurt forever. We're gonna live with that difficult relationship forever. We're gonna live lonely forever. We're gonna live with those habits forever. I just simply pray today, that we would look to you. We would place our trust in you, knowing that our trust will take us further than our fear ever could. And that we would trust that you can lead us and that you can make a way where there seems to be no way. And that ultimately we know you will lead us to real freedom. So God, we trust you today. Help us to do that. Help us to know what it is to do that you're asking us to do next. Help us to actually have the courage to do it. We love you, God. We pray this all in Jesus' strong name, amen.